Hey guys, welcome to Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. My name is Luis Sanchez. Hey guys, I'm Scott Callantine. Welcome to today's podcast episode. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple, uh, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Today, we're really excited. We're wrapping up this first season with a rich Lotus, uh, the illustrious from uh, <laughs> New York. And today we're going to be talking about his a book, his first work, The Deeply Formed Life. So Rich, welcome to the podcast. Louis, so good to be with you, my brother. Um, I recall very fondly having a meal with you in Queens nice. a few years back and uh, love nice. to see what the Lord is doing with you. So glad to be here. Yeah, dude. Uh, we have a, a little history together, a, a little bit of a, a kind of shared DNA with Anaya College and uh, spiritual formation stuff with some of you know same mentors, Ron Walborn and others. So, man, and I see that throughout the book, right? And I see so much of kind of uh, uh, Pete's work and fingerprints, and man, it's been. Just amazing. We just wrapped up reading this book with our core team yeah. last Friday, and it was such a, such a blessing. So before we get into the book, but tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what your ministry context is like. Uh, yeah, and then, and then how the book came about. Yeah, I, I'm a native New Yorker of Puerto Rican descent. My parents are from Puerto Rico, and I was born in Brooklyn, uh, have lived here. I'm 42 years old. I've lived in Brooklyn 34 years and the last eight years in Queens. And so um, I'm a Brooklyn, Queens guy. And I actually think in New York today, today is like Brooklyn, Queens Day. Some Oh, really? Like that. So um, that that's it's a holiday for me, being a Brooklyn, uh, Queens guy. So mm. um, I've been in New York all my life. I'm uh, the husband to Rosie. We've been married for 15 years father to Karis, who's 12. Uh, I can't believe she's 12. It's outrageous. I can't believe she's 12. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I'm not right. happy about it. Uh, and my son, Nathan, who is six years old. And I have the privilege of pastoring New Life Fellowship Church. Um, I've been the lead pastor for the past eight years. Uh, been at New Life since 2008 altogether. And just a beautiful community in the heart of Queens in a neighborhood where National Geographic called the most diverse zip code in the world. Yeah, uh, so I remember that. Every language is spoken in the neighborhood, 75 nations represented in our congregation. A beautiful, wow. beautiful place. So uh, that's that's a little bit about me. How many languages did you say, Rich? Well, in the neighborhood, 123 languages in the neighborhood. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 50% of Queens is foreign born and we have 2.2 million people who live in the borough. So uh, gives if Queens was its own independent city, it'd be the fifth largest city in the nation um, to give you a uh, perspective. Here. Such good food coming out of Queens. It's amazing. Like just that <laughs> alone, the food out of Queens is great. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually went to New York for uh, a few days, a few weeks back. It's my first time there. I look forward to going again, and uh, Brooklyn was cool. Didn't make my way over to Queens, though. Wish I had. There was just so much to see in such a short amount of time. Uh, and the fact that that would be the fifth largest city uh, is is mind-blowing oh, yeah. to think about how big New York City is. 
Side note, if you haven't been there, go there. That's right. It's an awesome place, uh, and I, I look forward to going again. Yeah. But, Brooklyn would be number three, by the way. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is crazy. That is crazy. But um, Transitioning a little bit more towards the book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life, uh, maybe what was your favorite part about the book or something that was like, man, this is fun to talk about and write about? And then on the flip side, what was maybe something that was really hard and challenging to to put in the book that was you knew was going to maybe get some pushback? It was hard to say. Mm. Uh, in, in terms of kind of what I really loved, first of all, from a macro perspective, I just loved being able to take a wide variety of topics and hold them together as a paradigm of spiritual formation, which really mm. this is what I'm hoping this book uh is and uh it's an ambitious reframing of spiritual formation for this generation mm. and sometimes that feels a bit uh, uh ambitious to say and a bit of an overreach but I, I i i think that's what i'm trying to do here to hold together aspects of christian life and discipleship that are often not held together and so from a macro perspective uh i really enjoy just putting those things and saying this is how it all holds together um the chapters on interior examination, though, were probably the chapters that I enjoyed writing the most, because when I was writing them, uh, I was I was writing it uh, as as a work in progress, and I'm always a work in progress. But in particular, yeah. with those chapters, I found that I was stuck in so many areas, and as I was writing, I found language to explain what was happening inside my own soul. Hmm. So. Um, all the other stuff could be said to some degree, but the interior exam, the stuff I write about with my wife, uh, mm. receiving criticism, uh, how you know, monitoring my own reactions, mm. I was in a really challenging place when I was writing it. So when I wrote it, I just felt incredibly liberated. So mm. I really enjoyed those two chapters in particular. In terms of some of the more difficult ones, I mean, on, on one level, um, writing on race, no matter because of how volatile that conversation can be in some circles, mm. I knew no matter what I said, some people were going to be upset. Um, yeah. And it got to a point where I wrote the chapters and before I submitted it, I had this nagging feeling, I need to add something else. And if I mm. don't add this, I'm going to be missing something. And so but one of the last things that I added in uh, the second chapter on racial reconciliation was the practice of renouncing whiteness. And when mm -hmm. I wrote around renouncing whiteness, I just knew some folks are going to see that and uh, I'll probably get some pushback and I have, but that's okay. Uh, but I just knew I needed to write that. Uh, and then uh, with the sexuality piece as well, I mean, we're talking about race and sexuality, two of the biggest areas of, of um, tension yeah and animosity in our culture yeah. um writing there i just knew some folks would probably want me to say more some people would probably mm. want me to say less um and so i've gotten some of those emails but um that that's probably what's the most difficult but um not to the point where it's like oh i you know this is really hard to write and i'm nervous about what people are saying mm. uh, but those are probably the two that i knew were probably going to be particularly difficult for some folks Man, when we, when, let me speak in the eye here, and I say that a bunch, <laughs> thanks to the, 
thanks to the the legacy of New Life and Pete and all those other guys. Um, uh, when I was reading through, you know, some of those in, interior examination, and when I was also reading through uh, some of that race stuff, like talk about ambitious, right? Like you're trying to say, hey, how. I've always said this, and I and I and I stole this from Shane Claiborne when we were in Philly. We were working with Shane a bunch, and he said our job is to disciple people and to read the scriptures in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Uh, and maybe these days people aren't really reading newspapers. Maybe they're <laughs> you know skim you know skimming through Twitter or, or yeah, yeah or or something. But how, how do we live faithfully? in today's environment as the people of Jesus and maybe the 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 language that new life may 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 use is as a new family of Jesus right and so i think that what the book does is saying hey these are the conversations and the topics and the uh things that we need to equip our people uh from a biblical you know, slash uh, Christian perspective on how to deal with and how to respond. And so for me, I think it was really helpful. I think in a, it was a tool and it continues to be a tool uh, for growth and discipleship. Tell me a little bit about what the process was like in in coming up with The Deeply Formed Life and in writing The Deeply Formed Life. It is your first work, right? First published work. It's it's the first published work, and actually, it's, it's rather simple how it came out. You know, some people write books out of pain. Uh, some people write books uh, out of passion uh, for particular issues. Um, I, I wrote the book. Uh, I'll give you another P, and I wasn't expecting to do that. That's just the preacher in me here. Come on, come on. Out of pain, mm. some write out of passion. I wrote out of pastoral concern, and. Mm. Uh, the five values that I write about are actually the five values of our congregation. We just use different language. Uh, we, we call them our five M's, and those are monastic, multiracial, emotional health, marriage to Christ, and missional. Uh, I started getting a lot of, over the years, questions from congregants asking me to explain what I meant by contemplation, explain what I meant by racial justice, explain what I meant by sexual wholeness. And so those questions kept coming. I thought, you know, I think a resource, and we've had wonderful resources already from my predecessor, but there were still areas that I thought that Pete didn't touch that I needed to give language to, or to take a paradigm of emotionally healthy spirituality, give it my own flavor, and then mm -hmm. see how it applies in larger uh, areas. Uh, and so I wrote it for the leaders of our congregation. I wrote it for folks who are joining our congregation uh, yeah. and um, trying to let people know this is what we mean when we say this. Now, it just so happened that those five values are be go beyond our local context in Queens. These are universally yeah. um, uh, applicable values for the church you know, a church, a culture that's very fast and has no um, capacity for contemplation, a culture that's split by racial divides, a culture that lives on the surface, a culture that splits bodies from souls, a culture that is marked by consumerism and not justice. For me, those are issues that transcend queens, which I think is why the book has 
hit somewhat of a nerve outside of our context, but I wrote it for the people in my congregation. I wrote it with, yeah. I had very specific names of people mm. when I wrote the chapter because mm. of some of the questions they asked me. And I thought, how would uh, John Evangelista understand this? Uh, how would uh, Russ understand this right. uh, from that question that he posed to me? So it came out of pastoral concern, uh, really. I, I had never made that connection about the five M's, you know, and I've and I've looked at the five M's tons of times, you know, and and shameless, you know, like confession here. Rich and New Life Fellowship has shaped. Uh, church collective in more ways um, from afar and from a distance than you know um, many people would even know and so huge huge blessing if you guys don't know the work that's coming out of new life and the work that's coming the emotionally healthy spirituality mm -hmm. EHS stuff uh, yeah. check that out yeah that personally uh, as I'm finishing up school here um, that was I had a class emotionally healthy spirituality which Pete's book was one of our main uh, resources. And so that class made me dig a lot into my soul and it's definitely changed me and, and morphed me in the last two and a half years or so since then. And so um, I loved reading The Deeply Formed Life and seeing some of the same themes in it. And I was like, okay, I can see where some of this has come from. And then also you had your own flavor as you've talked about. And you've addressed things that, that Pete didn't really address in his EHS content. Um, I don't know about his, his brand new release. I haven't I haven't looked into that one yet. But um, yeah, I, I definitely appreciated uh, yeah. where you went with some of the topics. And for those of you who have not read the book, uh, he talks about sexuality and race and these hot topics. Uh, and he does not hold back. I'll let you guys know that it, it is uncomfortable. It is challenging. But if we're pursuing the ways of Jesus, yeah, should we I mean, not and, be and you guys were doing this before it was sexy, though, right? Like yeah. these five M's have been the five M's for decades, right? Like, yeah, it, it crystallized, I would say, a decade ago, in terms mm -hmm. of those five M's. But um, we had been these had been our values, although they yeah. weren't on the wall for a number of decades. So, so rich, how do you think God has uniquely, you come out of a rich tradition there. Rich from a rich tradition. Ooh, rich from a rich tradition. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's funny. Um, contemplative rhythms, you know, talking about sexual wholeness. How, how do you think God has uniquely gifted you, this Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, who, you know, like, because can I be honest for a second? When I first read through EHS and when I've read through that content, I'm like, how am I going to bring this to the hood, right? Like, how am I going to bring this to other people, you know? And and the writing is phenomenal, right? Sometimes you got to be like, wait, wait, what's what's the dictionary? Where's the dictionary at? Because we got to look this up a little bit, right? So you're obviously a well-read guy, but it seems to me a little bit even more accessible. So, like, talk to me, like, how is God uniquely made you to be a voice and to speak into this in this very moment you, you know a part of it is yeah you, you know in one of the chapters on interior examination i quote in one paragraph socrates uh augustine and ice cube that's right that's right <laughs> you know and when i when i wrote that paragraph 
for me, I'm trying to bring my entire self Come on. To, um, to the page that I'm writing. on. And for me, it's very similar to preaching. When I train preachers, um, my first, one of the first questions after I hear them preach the first or second time is, are you bringing your full self to the pulpit? Uh, the, you know, or are you trying to bring a part of yourself that you think God wants to see? When I wrote it, I, I mean, more than anything, I'm trying to be my true self, who I am in God That's right. and trying to bring about my own history. I mean, listen, I used, I used to be a rapper. My father was a DJ. My father still is a DJ. I don't, he's in his mid sixties. He's DJing as a part-time gig at weddings and all, I mean, you see him on Instagram live DJing. This is my father no, oh, he's, wow. on his, in his garage in Florida. He's mixing on the ones and twos. You know, this is, love it. this is the family I came from. He gave me a love and appreciation for music and hip hop. Uh, and so writing for me is um, I'm trying to bring my entire self, but what I discovered in the writing process was, and I thank God for a good editor, uh, the first couple of drafts, I was trying to reach everyone. Mm. And um, I, was, I was using really big words um, that I paid a lot of money to learn in seminary and all that. <laughs> That's right. and, and then I would tell stories that I think would connect with the everyday person. And my editor said to me, hey, hey Rich, um, it sounds like you're trying to write for your smart friends and professors. Uh, and then with the smattering of other stuff for regular people, you have to choose one. Are you going to write for your smart friends and professors? Or are you going to write for the everyday person who goes to your church, mm -hmm. uh, who doesn't go to seminary? Who are you going to write for? And I decided to write for the everyday person. Uh, and Good choice. Take out a lot of words that uh, were initially there, a lot of concepts, a lot of theological meandering. Uh, and say, no, I'm going to talk about my own brokenness, my own stories. I'm going to add humor to it. I want to mm -hmm. use words that are accessible. I want, yeah. uh, and what has been really cool about it is what surprised me the most is parents with their teenagers are telling me that they're reading the book together, um, that their 15 and 16 year old child uh, is reading this book. Uh, and at the same time, it's being featured in some seminaries. Uh, what, so what surprised me is by talking to the everyday person in language yeah. that I thought was really accessible, culturally accessible, you know, I'm talking about Prince and, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. his music and chapters on sexual wholeness. Um, I think that went a long way, but it, thank God for a good editor, but it's really right. bringing my entire self of mm -hmm. this is who I am. This is how I was raised. These are my passions. Uh, I want to integrate it all as an offering to God and as a gift to the world. Mm, love it. So you mentioned you had a music career real quick. <laughs> uh, did you have an albums drop or anything like that? No albums dropped, but I started, believe it or not, I started rapping as a second or third grader uh, by um, listening to the radio, recording Big Daddy Kane uh, raps. And, and I would have my pen and pad uh, and I would keep going, rewind because I wanted to write down every word so I can memorize mm. his lyrics. I didn't understand all the lyrics he was saying. So to this right. day, I'm rapping words that he'd never rap, you know, because that's how I understood <laughs> when I was in third grade. I was like, oh, that's what he said, you know? Uh, but I never, never never cut an album, but spent a lot of time in the studio, believe it or not. 
um, as a middle schooler doing all kinds of festivals and stuff. But um, that was another. I mean, I'm tempted. To, I'm tempted to say spit some hot fire right now, you know, but. Maybe, maybe, maybe for another day. <laughs> maybe before the end of this podcast, I'll throw some. All right, Yo, all right. spit some hot fire. <laughs> yeah, my brother's a music producer. Maybe I can send you some beats or some something. Some hot fire. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. See, we're learning something new right now, guys. Yeah. We're learning something new. Um, In this, let's say this cultural moment that we see the uh, church in America right now, how do you feel that the Spirit of God is leading you to be a voice right now? Um, and what do you, what do you, maybe you hoping the church uh, will do? Maybe sh- a shift or two the church will make, or um, yeah, uh, you know, with the church, um, on on one level, again, this is where it feels a bit presumptuous to say. But I, I think I need to say it anyway because of my passion for it. Um, I, I do think I'm offering a, it's not an exhaustive paradigm, uh, what I'm offering in this book, but it is um, fairly wide. And I, I do think that the church must wrestle with all of these areas concurrently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's often the case that some folks might look at this book and say, oh, okay, the racial justice, racial reconciliation chapter, oh, that's good for people in urban context, Hmm. but really doesn't say much to us in a monocultural uh, white suburban context. And I'm saying, no, Hmm. this this is for that context as well. It might be the case that some would say, Oh, that contemplative rhythm stuff, that's got, that's good for the monastery and people yeah. who live in the mountains. Yeah, but for yeah. us in the city and an urban context, that stuff isn't really realistic. And yet I write from the city that never sleeps. Uh, right. And so for me, I, I do think the church would do well to um, hold these things together in their formational approach to preaching mm. and discipleship. Uh, so that's the that's what I would say for the first thing. In terms of my own kind of, what, what was the language you used, Scott, of my own calling or? Just being a voice for, in this cultural moment for the church. Um, you know, I think, and this is part of the, um, the blessing of being mentored by Pete. Um, I know that my biggest task is to be faithful in my local context. Uh, that's my number one task, uh, to, to develop pastors in our context, to develop leaders in our context. You know, we started a school of formation uh, that we piloted uh, last September, and it was my attempt to spend nine months with 15 of our leaders and intentionally for, help to form these five values in them. Um, that's my number one priority. Uh, and so everything else, if, if the Lord is using um, my voice in larger settings, and I get invited to conferences and all that stuff, but if uh, it all flows out of the local work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that respect, I feel, you know, I think if I can continue to remain incredibly local focused, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's the case that what, whatever is, I, I've heard a phrase that I think applies to our ecclesiology as well, where, uh, where that which is most personal is that which is most universal. And um, mm. 
I, I believe that. And I think the same applies ecclesiologically, where that which is most local, if I could spend my time in a mm-hmm. real local context, getting to yeah. know people, um, that's going to transcend my local space yeah. uh, because I'm going to find universal themes across the board. So I think my voice, I mean, the challenge I have right now is I do have growing influence and I can believe everything that people are saying about me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the good and the, and the bad, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to live really from the center of God's love, um, not trying to be pulled away, which is very increasingly difficult. Um, but my biggest task, I think, is to be a faithful local pastor, helping yeah. the people mm-hmm. that I know by name to follow Jesus better. Thanks for sharing that. I, I I think that does make sense. You know, it will transfer over whatever you're experiencing locally will transfer over. And I think that in, in many ways, that's why it connects with people because you're speaking to your context, but everybody else is experiencing it too at the same time. Um, so I, I love that. Um, you, you just mentioned, you know, doing what you do out of the center of God's love. Can you Break that down for us a little bit, you know, living from that loving center. Yeah, um, for, for me, living from the center of God's love uh, informs everything that I do, every message I preach, um, every interaction I have with someone. Uh, because I think, number one, it helps me to live um, above transactionalism uh, and I think by transactionalism in my life with God, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my kind of chair where I usually spend most of my time in silence and in prayer and in journaling. And it is here where I'm trying to just open myself up to God's love um, without wanting anything except to be present to God's presence. Um, My prayer life has significantly adjusted over the years where Mm. certainly I have times of petition and times of intercession, of course, there, but uh that doesn't if anything that's that's so much at the end of my time of prayer that the vast majority of it is me just trying to be still and silent and opening myself up to divine love um and so i think it is out of that being present to god's presence that i've that i've received i think grace from the spirit and not that i do this perfectly at all my wife is in the next room she'll let you know that uh (laughs) but i do think that um, I've made some significant progress being present to her, being yeah. present to mm-hmm. my children, being present to people who disagree with me, being present to people who have said hurtful things mm. uh, to me. Um, I, I So for me, living from the center of God's love is because I'm living from that place, I don't have to grasp it from others. Um, yet at the same time, my ongoing struggle is and. Uh, in a world in which, um, you know, I'm quite honest, I'm just becoming more of a public figure, uh, is how do I live beyond uh, the likes and the notifications right. and all of mm-hmm. the praise that people are giving? That is uh, the ongoing uh, struggle that, and which makes prayer that much more necessary for me right. um, to live out of Matthew 3, or where, you know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, as opposed to living in Matthew 4, where the evil one says, if you are the son of God, prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so preaching out of that place, right. counseling out of that place, um, 
for me is an ongoing journey, but I, one I can't imagine doing without. Yeah. I call myself a struggling contemplative charismatic. There's a lot going on there, but emphasis on struggling, <laughs> right? Emphas emphasis on struggling. But I think there's something beautiful about the struggle, right? Like you're saying, hey, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight for the contemplative rhythms. I'm going to fight for the life of the spirit. I'm going to fight to to lean into what the Lord is doing and to listen, to slow down, to try to pay attention, to be more present and all of those things, man. Yeah, and, and, and I'll just say, that's my when I talk about integrity, you know, for me, in, integrity is not living something perfectly, but wrestling with it faithfully. And mm -hmm. if we think that integrity is about, I got to do this perfectly, I got to pray perfectly, I got to do all, yeah. I mean, there's no hope for any of us. Right. But if integrity is about, I'm going to faithfully wrestle with all, with God right. and with this, um, I, I think that's what we're called to. Exactly, man. Mm -hmm. So you are a well-read person, Rich. I know it. Um, I've been following you on social media and been, you know, connected to you one way or another for, you know, the better part of the last decade. Uh, so I know you have a couple of paintings on your walls. You got Peterson, you got Martin Luther King, you got a couple others. I think your father-in-law just got a knack for, for art. Talk to me about like, I know there's one quote that I go back to time and time again. Um, I, I, I found it out of Abba's Child by Brendan Manning. It's like, uh, God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. And so what is one quote that continuously plays in your mind and in your heart from a, an extra biblical resource? Yeah, I mean, out of those three folks that I have, I have four my father, my father-in-law painted these beautiful portraits that I hung in my office of uh, Gardner Taylor's, uh, yep. Dean Black Preachers, uh, Eugene Peterson, Martin Luther King, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, because I, I would categorize myself as a struggling contemplative as well. I think it's all the struggle. Nice. Uh, and I meet with monks. You know, when I go to monasteries, and I talk to them about their prayer life. Um, these monks who have given themselves to this life say to me, it's a struggle praying. And I'm like, that's so wonderful to hear. What a gift. Right. <laughs> um, but Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he, I'll paraphrase mm. a little bit. Um, he says, we, we are to be silent in the morning because God should have the first word and we should be silent at night because God should have the last word. Yeah. And that was in the book. That's in his book, Life Together. Yeah, and that for me is something I think about often, especially when I wake up and when I end my night, because I, I do think that's such a, to bracket my life every day, uh, my preaching, my Bible. I'm going to steal that, by the way, to bracket my life. <laughs> Note taken. Yeah, uh, I, I, that, I come back to that often. So that's, that's the one that, on the tip of my tongue today. Man, so Scott's gonna before we start to wrap up and, and start landing the plane here. Thank you so much for for spending this time with us. Got a couple little things, man. Personal, mainly personal. I'm gonna squeeze this in the podcast just because I gotta throw this in. New Life is, has a new work in Hempstead, Long Island, right? It's 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 kind of blossoming, starting. Tell me a little bit about that. And if you're in Long Island. Like, go check that out. But go ahead. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, we are starting our a, a new congregation. It's New Life 
east. East. East of where we're at. So it's you know, right. east of Queens. So it's a good name. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're looking at uh, Hempstead or West Hempstead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are launching this fall. Uh, and so we've already identified about um, a core group of 50 people. We're probably adding another 50 this summer uh, to start off in the fall. And this has been something that's been on my mind since I became the lead pastor at New Life. And what I've learned about leadership is that things take a lot longer than you thought it would. Uh, and so here we are. When I first became the pastor, I said, we need to start a new congregation tomorrow. And mm -hmm. everybody's going, what are you talking about, man? And so eight years later, here we are. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, we, we, what we want to do, we realize, number one, there's so many wonderful churches already doing fantastic ministry in Long Island. We want to add our voice to uh, those churches yeah. uh, and reaching people. Uh, but the other thing we want to do, we have done some studies on how seg racially segregated Long Island is. Yep. Nassau County is one of the most yep. segregated areas yep. in all of the nation. The country. Yeah. The redlining, Levittown, all of that stuff happening right. there. Yep. So we've done our research there and we thought, what would it look like for us to demonstrate uh, and model a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, what we're doing in Queens and say, let's see how we can do this in Long Island as well. Um, and so right. that's why we're heading there. Yo, we love that. Love that for sure. Um, man, it takes some time. We are, we mainly speak, our audience listens to our podcast because they're interested in leadership, discipleship, and the micro expressions of the church. And that's more of a prevailing model, traditional model kind of church. Would you, would you agree like that? That's what that's going to be and what you guys are with the one on new life East. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, new life East we're looking at it like a family of churches. Uh, and so we are, we're not expecting that congregation to look exactly like uh, the one in Queens. Uh, right. You know, the one in Queens, we have, you know, 15 to 1800 people who attend yeah. uh, there. We're not looking, but the biggest thing is we're trying to carry our values, those five ends, yeah. those five yeah, things yeah. I write about mm -hmm. in the deep reform life and making that the foundational elements to these new communities. So yeah. uh, they're probably going to look very different. Uh, but have lots of shared yeah. values and certain Absolutely things that we do. And I, and I said that to say is we, we value all types of churches for all types of people. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that's, you know, we talk primarily about the simple church uh, and the micro church expression, but lots of good work is happening around the country and around the globe yeah. with, with prevailing model churches. Yeah. Uh, Rich, as we are, are wrapping up here, thank you for joining us today. Um, go listen, go listen or read the, to the deeply formed life. Yeah, like, we, I know you. We, I know you. We did a lot of listening. Life is so crazy, and obviously, Rich actually reads the audio book, and I could, I could so hear your preaching too when I was reading it. Yeah, so, well, I was listening to it. That, that, that was that was really fun, but. You guys are not going to let me off the hook without spitting a verse, right? I mean, come on oh, now. No. Of course not. Oh, yeah, we were, we were not quite done yet. In the Northwest, I'm learning the communication style here is a lot different than back east. Back east, we're straightforward. We, you know, so we, but in the Northwest, they're a little bit uh, 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 more passive. And yeah. so I was going to let you bring that back up. 
Oh, no, here we are. Well, I mean, it's funny. Um, um, there's a Queens group called Mob Deep who uh, <laughs> came out with some songs in the 90s. And I remember my son was about, my son is six. He was about two years old. And there was this Mob Deep challenge that they put the instrumental out there and people were throwing their, their little verses there. So I put on the instrumental and I was like, you know what, let me write something. Let me write my testimony here. Uh, and so I'll give you just a couple, I'm, I'll, I'll give you maybe 20 seconds of, of material here. And if you drop those 16 right quick. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do it in a spoken word way so that uh, your people understand. Yeah, everybody understands. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, okay. Yeah. And so, and so I'm from East New York, Brooklyn, right? So I'll just put it, I'll, I'll just start off with, with that there, which was notoriously in the 80s and 90s, the worst neighborhood in all of New York City. So that gives you some context, right? And so I, I begin with this. Can any good come out of East New York? Pick an Ave, Elton Street, where I learned to walk with my eyes wide open like a skeptical hawk. In my formative years, yeah, I learned to walk like a tough guy, really, but I was no hulk. But you got to maintain. It was in my brain to make something of my life. So I went to Lane. No studies, but you know, I played those games, no goals in life, but had gold chains, but all that changed my life rearranged by an act of grace. Now, let me explain. That's all I got there. Hey, hey there we go. There we go. Hot fire. Which, which, which instrumental was that too? It was the Shook Ones instrumental. Yeah, I can hear Eminem back there too, like from 8 Mile. So you got tons of stuff up your sleeve. You, I know you also got uh, another book coming, right? Yes. So that's in the works. Next summer, it'll be out. I, I, we don't, the working title of it, it might change, but the working title is Formed by Love, nice. uh, in which I am <clears throat> addressing the forces of our fragmentation in our society the formation that's required to lead us to wholeness and what it means to really flesh this out in our everyday interpersonal public lives. Dope. So be on the lookout for that. And then the other thing you got up your sleeve, because I've been following you on Instagram for some time now, is a recipe for arroz con gandules. Uh, now, so I, now, let me tell you, bro, I throw down and let me. my wife is the one who has trained me. She has discipled me in the way. She's the Jedi master. So uh, I have a really good arroz con gandules recipe. Yeah, so I don't know if that's top secret or you can make that public, um, but would love to get, man, I tried to make arroz con gandules and it did not come out the best. And I have I've to had text some you, bomb. Bro, I mean, I'll, I'll text you. I, I, it's, it's, it's awesome what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it on the DL. They're, they're going to text about it, yeah. these guys. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's Spanish rice that every holiday should have and should not be missed. Mm. Uh, Rich, as we are wrapping up here, are there any uh, last words that you would like to uh, say about the book or to an audience listening? Um, and then where could people maybe learn more about you, follow you, um, and, and even buy the book? Yeah, I'm grateful for your hospitality and your welcome, guys. So thanks for the great conversation. Uh, if folks went to richbelotus.com, they could find out um, about the current book as well as future book projects. And I mean, for folks who want to, uh, as a heads up in August, August 31st, the paperback edition is going to be released. Uh, and in that paperback edition, uh, we'll include uh, a full discussion guide for every chapter in that book. Um, mm -hmm. And so if folks want to 
uh, read it with a small group or if churches. I Which we used. We used, I don't know if it's going to be the same one, but we used the one that you. Yeah. So uh, all that, the, what I used there will be now inside the paperback. Um, and uh, I under, I, I know at least 15 churches that are doing kind of church wide a sermon series plus small group discussion with the book. Uh, so if folks want to go that direction, the paperback might be the most helpful guide um, mm. to facilitate those conversations. So and they could get that on your website or is that going to also be available? Amazon, what? It'll be available everywhere. My website really just serves as a portal to uh, show you the various outlets mm. where these um, books are being uh, sold. Uh, but if they went to richforlotus.com, they could see all the places. So if they want to support someplace local or um, uh, buy it from Amazon or what have you, uh, yeah. they could do that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rich. And thank you guys for listening. Go buy the book. You won't regret it. Add Rich on social media. Always got fresh content, great content. Uh, we appreciate you for coming and stopping by the show today. God bless you, man. Peace. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Stay tuned as we release episodes each Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you would like, review, share, and subscribe our podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey, you guys. Thanks for rocking with us during the first season of Keeping It Simple. Look out for new episodes in the fall of 2021.